The news on the corona front is not positive. I'm afraid with the Philippine capital Manila and surrounding provinces going back into lockdown for at least two weeks after a surging cases there. And Simon Littlewood, Melbourne, the uh, capital of the Australian state of Victoria, also just starting a six-week lockdown with breathless commentary in the newspaper every day about just how many more cases there have been, usually in the hundreds. Of course, when you're looking at the small and medium enterprises that we care so deeply about here at Riabu, the health of business is, of course, um, uh, also of great concern, not just the health of the people who run it. And when we think about how you're going to be able to survive until Christmas, you know, a number of things spring to mind. We've had first the first wave of coronavirus and what you might call the first wave of government support, rental support, wage subsidies, and so on. Now, Simon, as we head into the second wave in so many countries, are we going to have a second wave of financial support as well? Where is it all going to end? Well, there's no saying that uh, it'll just be a second wave because the great flu epidemic of the 1920s that was catastrophic, uh, there were four waves. And the fourth one was the worst of all. So um, who knows how many waves there are going to be. But the reality is that um, in many countries, um, we are looking at a resurgence of the virus and also pretty well everyone I talk to, I don't talk to anyone who doesn't think that this is going to last at least to next year. You know, for example, the civil servant service in the UK, and we're talking about the UK in a minute, is telling its workers that they don't expect them to come back to the office for normal working until early 2021 first quarter. Yes. Uh, so that's the, fit, the official government view. And this begs the question, how are the six million small businesses in the UK, which employ 16 million people, going to weather the storm? Yes, and of course, not just in the UK, but all around the world. Do you actually have an answer for us, or are you well, going to leave I, that rhetorical? I, well, I, I, my first reflection <laughs> is this, you know, and both you and I are on the media fair, but it's just astonishing to me how the discussion about business in general always focuses on major multinationals. It always does, you know, whether it's a political discussion, conflicts between Huawei and Google or whoever it happens to be. But the reality is that most people in most countries are not employed by large multinational corporations. They're employed by SMEs, by mum and pop shops. Um, in, in Singapore alone, there are tens of thousands of SMEs uh, who constitute something like two-thirds of all the employment in the country. Well, I could explain that in, in def mm. defense of, of our media colleagues. Uh, when I was an anchor at CNBC, we routinely covered large companies because they had a small announcement to make rather than a small company with a large announcement to make. You yes. know, it's the fact that there's a, a big brand value, a big brand rather, and probably some shareholders standing behind it. And nothing to do with the fact that large companies can afford expensive PR departments to go around handing ready-made <laughs> talking points no, to the media. No, nothing to do with that at all. Nothing to do with that at all. But the, but the bottom line, coming back to SMEs, um, how much longer can governments actually pump prime their, well, their rent and, and their, their wages? Well, if it was coming out of the government's own pocket, that is, if the Minister for Finance was having to pay it himself, probably not all that long. But the great thing about governments is essentially all they're doing is spending your money for you. If it's a political choice between a catastrophic level of unemployment as a result of ending the furlough scheme and maintaining the furlough scheme, guess what? they're going to carry on with the furlough scheme. And we've had this conversation in the context of Singapore, but the reality is no government is going to abruptly end a scheme of whatever kind, and there are a whole range of measures in place in Singapore, if that's immediately going to precipitate a massive wave of uh, insolvencies and redundancies.
that's simply not a political price that any government is prepared to pay. Yes. Well, you say that they pay, spend taxpayers' money, and I, I guess in theory that's true. But on the other hand, you know, when you hear people like Jerome Powell, the head of the Federal Reserve, talk about uh, just continuing to print money, and as Ben Bernanke used to say, drop it by helicopter over people, you know, so that there's um, uh, to, to kickstart inflation and to ensure that the economy survives. Is it as simple as that? Central banks adding well, a few zeros to the, the accounts? The whole approach to this has is, is, is now changed. It's now become accepted, first of all, that government is responsible for somehow keeping the economy going. It didn't used to be the case. A hundred years ago, it wasn't government's responsibility to keep the economy going. It was government's responsibility to get out of the way and provide the infrastructure uh, and the civil order that would enable people to get on with their own thing. Now somehow government has a moral responsibility to actually keep, uh, actually keep business going, which is a change, but it's not a change that's going to go away. Um, in terms of how, where the money comes from, yes, you can print money, uh, which can cause all sorts of things, but the reality is, at the end of the day, that's all predicated on some kind of financial instrument which somebody uh, buys, uh, typically, uh, debt of some kind, uh, whether it's the Chinese that are buying government bonds or corporations that are getting funded or whatever it is, um, someone at some point has to pay it back. And of course, you can. what we've discovered is that apparently you can go on kicking the can down the road as long as you like. I mean, I can remember writing an article for a well-known finance magazine three years ago saying that all of this surely was going to come to an end. And boy, was I wrong. Not only has he not, has it not come to an end, everybody has absolutely doubled down on the printing of money. You know, the European Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, uh, even here in Singapore, a country which is notoriously fiscally conservative, the government here is making large sums of extremely cheap money, 0.1% they're charging the, the major banks here, for cash that they can then lend to SMEs. So we're looking at a massive pump priming effort of unprecedented proportions, even in countries that are theoretically financially conservative. So the, the, but the funds don't just disappear, right? I mean, once the money is spent, it, it's not like you've thrown it into, into the hearth and now it's gone up in smoke. The money has to go somewhere. Well, you say that. Let's say that I'm running a business, okay? Um, and I've got half a dozen employees and, and most of my business has, has, has run out the door, right? Uh, and in reality, my company's not really solvent. It's not a going concern because in normal circumstances, I would not be making enough revenue to cover my costs. But the government's arranged for me not to have to pay my rent. The government has arranged for me to borrow large sums of money. And the government has also arranged for me, in the case of Singapore, to put two thirds of the cost of my employee salaries in the bank every month. Uh, so as I think that's great. As long as I sign up for all of this, uh, I don't have to bite the bullet and I don't <coughs> have to go. Well, it's great, except that, you know, the money. Goodness me, I'm sounding like a Tory prime minister. You know, there is no magic money tree. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, which Margaret Thatcher are you referring to? Um, um, you okay, know. But, but okay, so what's the alternative? I mean, to decline it would be like Chris Wolfe, a wholesaler of uh, Southeast flowers in the United Kingdom, quoted by the Financial Times, who used to supply weddings, but of course the weddings have all been cancelled, um, and is now facing the toughest year ever. She says, and she's quoted here in the FT, we're not going down without a fight, but I'm not going to leave myself with huge debts from government-backed emergency loans um, and getting an, an unwell in getting there. So it, it seems that there are some small business owners who are biting the bullet. Well, you know, as you may recall, you know, my advice to companies was at the beginning of this, irrespective of what aid they might be offered, sort of palliative aid, if they do not see a future where they can actually make money 
to actually step away from the business because uh, you know there are bankruptcy protections. You can you can terminate a business without being personally liable for it. And for many businesses, like food and beverage businesses, for example, it makes more sense to actually step away, cease operations, um, and then resume when there's some kind of market to sell to. Um, uh, you know, that's catastrophic in terms of unemployment, but it, it is the logical thing to do. But the reality is government measures have been deployed in part to prevent that perfectly logical commercial decision from happening. I've talked to small business owners in Singapore who said, I don't really see a future, but at the end of the day, as long as the government's prepared to put two thirds of my costs in, into my bank account every month, uh, you know, for, which costs me nothing, well, what have I got to lose? Absolutely. I, I mean, I'm going to open, open up the premises three times a week and hope somebody shows up. And of course, they, they don't. Uh, you know. so, um, OK, so longer term, post Christmas, what is the world going to look like then? That's a very good question. Um, That's why I asked it. <laughs> well, I think the reality is things are, if, we are, if we're honest, things are improving slightly. The level of commercial activity in Singapore, for example, is evidently much improved from, from what it was a couple of months ago. I think that is slowly going to improve. I think a lot is going to depend on how well companies are managing the virus because it's not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not just one thing. There's two parts to this. There's one is how well you actually manage the virus within a particular environment. That is to say that you isolate those who've got it, you minimize the spreading of the virus, you cut foreign travel, you do all those sorts of things. And the other is deploying measures to support businesses that have got a future. So countries that have been a little bit all over the place in terms of, of, of their virus measures, and I'm afraid the United States sadly springs to mind because it's very hard to discern any consistent federal policy there. It's all over the place. Um, don't worry, the virus will just go away very soon. Uh, well, It'll just disappear. Well, I, I, I'm not a virologist, but I'm reading that it mutates awfully quickly. And I don't know, we seem to live in a world of fear these days. Um, I just sort of keep calm and carry on. But your point is that by early next year, you don't know what's going to happen. Well, that would be unusual. None sign. of us, <laughs> and that's not fair. I stopped making predictions a long time ago. I stopped making predictions when you and I sat down and I laughingly derided the notion that a certain Trump would become president of the United States, along with a great many other uh, pundits, I have to say. So what do I know? Not very much. Okay, so what do we do between now and Christmas? You're I think, a small to medium enterprise. What I think that the virus is going to decline. I think that governments... You are? The uh, virus is going to decline? I think it is. On average, yes. I think you might get small resurgences, but I don't think they'll be as bad as... I thought you said we're going to have a fourth wave, and the fourth wave well, is going to be worse I think than we need to two. differentiate between countries that have actually addressed it and countries that have done absolutely nothing. I mean, I, before we started this uh, discussion, we, would, we were reflecting on the terrible human misery that's going on in Southeast Asia, which is where we live, and how little airtime that actually gets. Everything in the media is about the United States and Europe and Australia. Reality is the bulk of the world's population does not live in mature Western democracies, overwhelmingly lives in much, much poorer places like Indonesia to the south of us with 300 million people, the Philippines with 100 million people, Indochina and Thailand, 150 million, 200 million people. We know for a fact that the health infrastructure in these places is terrible. We have no reliable data on just how bad the virus is. But we know from people in Singapore that aid packages, basic aid packages of food, are having to be sent to remote villages, for example, in Indonesia to prevent starvation. So I suspect that the story here is that the virus is much, much worse in countries that we hear very little about. Yeah? And yet you think it's going to go away? I think in the West, which is what we're talking about, I think it's, yes, I think it's going to improve. We're going to see a progressive opening of the, up of the economy. We're seeing that in the UK already. We're seeing it in Singapore. We've seen a resurgence in, Melbourne, in Victoria, but I think that will go away as well. 
So uh, if you actually look at, I mean, okay, we, let's not be controversial, but if you actually look at the rates of death uh, in communities, you know, they're not catastrophically large. Uh, we, we allowed ourselves to be terribly frightened by this, but unless you fall into very specific groups where there's a comorbidity issue or you're very old, uh, you're highly unlikely either to get it, and if you do get it, it's highly likely to be unsymptomatic, yeah? Asymptomatic, sorry. Yes, that's why we all have to wear masks. Um, whether you like it or not. Well, okay, so no just, just to wrap up. and I'm I, not helping I, you here, am I? I um, am going to pin you down on this, mm. Simon. So in the next six months, in anticipation of the fact that you think the virus is going to go away, should we just take the government money and say, next year we will see? Well, you know, my advice to SMEs, because I think that's what we're focusing on, is if you see a future by either, and remember our original advice on this, either you can sustain enough of your core business t to cover your costs, and you should adjust your costs so that they match whatever it is that you can retain and or pivot which I mean a number of companies that have done that are a number of salutary examples of companies that have been able to pivot into different areas that is generate revenue from something else but in a way that is consistent with their core skills and, su and supply chain access um, if you can do any of those things and you see a future, then cut your costs to a level that will enable you to weather the storm and then start to expand when you come out of the other end. If you see no future, then I seriously question the value of getting further and further indebted in order to sustain a business that may not have a future. My advice would be get out of it, husband your resources and be ready to act again when things improve. We'd love to hear your points of view on any of these topics ranging from what you're going to do with your business. Are you going to weather the storm? Are you going to shut shop, husband your resources, as Simon says, and come back another day? Or are you going to take the money for as long as the government gives it? And what do you think of the way that the US has handled it? Service at riabu.com is uh, the address to email us at. We welcome all comers. Thanks again for listening. Thanks, Simon. Thank you, Mark.